0: Praise the Lord. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. and if I, Thank you. Matthew chapter 24. These are the last days, folks. In fact, I believe that these are the last of the last days. That very soon, the things that have been prophesied in Scripture, we will see them t- come to pass. Now, just look at me a moment. This agenda is not attached to you. And it's not about your marriage It's not about the growth of your children. It's not about your qualification. It's not about your career. Hello. Because people reject this in their heart. They don't embrace the day in which they live because they have their own agenda. God did not consult you when the world was formed. He did not consult you about that timetable. And He's not consulting you about how things wind up. Amen. It's not about you. This is not about you. This is about God. This is a long story and you're just part of it. But people shut me down. They switch me off because they have their own blinkers on about their desires, their wishes in life. That is terribly foolish. Folks, I've got wishes. <laughs> I've got desires. I've got dreams. All right? I'm human. I am, honestly. I'm human. Right? But... To be honest with you, I don't care about them because I understand the futility of them. I understand the futility of pursuing what the pagans pursue. I'm not a pagan. I am enlightened, if you know what I mean. I know what the scriptures say. I've got the signs. So how foolish would I be to behave like everybody else? Come on. How foolish would I be when God has trusted me to live in 2013 when the vast majority of these end times prophecies are really coming at us like a steam train. Okay? Matthew chapter 24 verse 4. Jesus says when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign that the world is about to end? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. So there's going to be deception. We saw that in our first few weeks about the harlot church. The apostasy, which is what we'll call this series, the great apostasy. The Bible says that the rapture of the church, the the return of Christ will not happen um, until there's a great falling away amongst God's people. Because of deception. I'll read it. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. "'Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. "'Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. "'There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. "'All these are the beginning of birth pains. "'Then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death, "'and you will be hated by all nations because of me. "'At that time, many will turn away from their faith, "'and they will betray and they will hate each other, "'and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people.' Because of this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, most, I hate these words, honestly. I wish they, I wish, you know, this was not the truth. Many will fall away. Many, many. I wish it was few, but it is not. It says that few will actually follow the narrow way, it says that many will fall away. And here again, Jesus uses the word most and many. Because of the wickedness and the sin in the world, because of the temptations of this life, the love of most will grow cold. Most folks, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't want to be in that number. That's a, a scary line. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, about five years ago, we produced this book here. Most of you will have it, or at least half of you will have it. If you haven't got a copy, there's a box of them here. This is an overview of the run-up of events in the last days. Now, I I wrote this about ten years ago, and then I updated it about four years ago. Um, Thank God I don't have to remove anything from it. Hallelujah. I'm delighted, because I don't like just saying things, because... You need to fill the pages. We need to know what we're saying. We can back up with Scripture. And that's been my golden rule from the beginning. If I can't find it in the Bible, if I'm not categorically 100% sure, don't say it. Just stay away from it. Just say that you don't know. Just say you don't know. Just leave it blank, right? And so there were many, many omissions that some of you have spoken to me about. Many omissions. In, why didn't you talk about the rapture? Do you know what the rapture is? Does anybody know what the rapture is? (laughs) The rapture is is, is a predicted event that Jesus said that the the church, the the born-again believers who are filled with the Spirit will be removed from the earth before the persecution that he speaks of here comes. It's the rapture of the church. And then there'll be seven years of what's called tribulation. And great tribulation will happen upon the earth. Okay? So I, I left out a fair bit about the rapture, even though there's a chapter on the rapture, I didn't get specific. Because the the Greek word for mystery means that which is being progressively revealed. And the truths concerning the rapture, when we produced this book, were we're not yet crystal clear. Okay, Whenever you see the church having debates and arguments, like there was those that were pre-trib rapture, before the seven years the church would be removed. There's those that were mid-trib. And those that were post, remember? Right? I I refused to take a position. Because I could give you a very good argument for pre. But I could also give you a very good argument for mid. And for post. So I, I met many of my fellow pastors. Why are you taking a stand whenever you... Never deny one scripture to lift up another one. Leave it alone. Step back. Say you don't know. Until the mysteries are revealed. Because that's what the Greek word means. Paul says we behold a mystery here. But things have transpired in the last few years that have changed many things in terms of how we now understand the forthcoming conclusion of all things. Could I have my list up please, Stephen? Deception really needs to go at the top of that list as an umbrella problem for the whole world. But this is a a, a list that I constructed as best I could From looking at what Jesus said would be a sign in the last days. I like to see the big picture. Because when I see and understand the big picture, then I can understand things. And I I actually constructed this list many years ago. About 15, 20 years ago. After spending seven days in a room locked away, studying Revelation, trying to get a timeline. Because I was confused about the, 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 the things that are to come. And I can't do my ministry if that's the case. And this was the timeline that I came up with. It hasn't changed, but I have added certain things to it that through the course of today and in the coming weeks, if you listen, and I pray that you hear with your spirit, right? And in a submissive and obedient way, if you're rebellious or you want to pursue your own life, you know, you'll be sitting there, you won't hear a word I say. Play with your phone. Ignore me. You know? Please, folks, you need to have an obedient heart to God in order to hear his word and to hear and understand the day in which we live. Jesus said there would be a generation in which there would be plagues and wars. He said that the, 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 uh, he said to the Jews, you will not see me again. What's that? The second coming. You will not see me again until you learn to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, when we see the Jews, praise God, you know, that, you know that He's coming. You will not see me again until you... So the Jews' hearts will soften. So we know that when we see, currently I think, I can't remember what the statistics are, but very high for the number of Jews getting saved. So plagues and wars, the gospel of the kingdom would go around the whole world and we did an extensive message on that, if you remember, about the historical fact of the gospel going right around the earth. The Jews' hearts will soften, and in and around here, if you notice, I've put the rapture in various places because I actually think I, I'm a, what, what you could call a pan-rapture believer. Not post, not pre, not mid, but pan. I believe all three. Now, before you walk out, <laughs> let me explain. Um, mysteries get revealed over time, and God lets the church know what's happening. A guy called Perry Stone uh, is a type of he studies types in the Old Testament and he was just studying the harvests a few years back not long ago and as he was studying the harvest boom something just came to him he he discovered that there were actually three there's four but there's three principal harvests that are presented to the Father in the year it's a rapture you bring the church up and you give it Jesus gives it to the Father Right, at the end of all things. And he, he saw that there was a barley harvest at the beginning of the year. Then there was a wheat harvest. And then there was the harvest of grapes. Now the Bible says, blessed is he who rises in the first resurrection. Now look at the difference in these harvests. The barley harvest is picked. It doesn't suffer. Okay. The wheat harvest is threshed. But the grape harvest is crashed, and he suddenly saw that the the three presentations to God the Father were actually the th- it's harvest, it's fruit from seed, and Jesus Christ is the seed, and the church is the fruit that's presented back to the Father for His investment, if you like, if I can put it that way. Excuse me. Okay. So I, I see one major rapture coming up. No problem, I've got no problem with that. But I also see the validation of the other scriptures that describe through the seven years of tribulation, there will be additional snatchings away or additional additions to the church. Now, I'll go into that in more detail maybe in about three or four weeks' time when we look at it. But you begin to understand how things are definitely, definitely, definitely being revealed. The gospel of the kingdom will go around the world, the Jews will begin to soften, and the Antichrist, as we know, will have major dealings in the terms of finances, world economics, and goodness knows, is, is, isn't the world getting ready for that one? Heavens above, isn't the world just absolutely ripe for a f- economic saviour? If you saw Barack Obama getting elected, man, that wasn't a president, that was a Nylon Messiah. You see how the nation flocked to him, you know, and, and it's a messianic time where the world is looking for a savior. And believe me, the Antichrist will present himself as such. The Book of Revelation is our anchor book in terms of understanding the last days, but my oh my, is it confusing! It is written in such a way that, uh, as a, at a casual reading, you're going to really struggle, big time. Do you know what the book of Revelation is like? It's like a TV documentary, a history documentary. And you open the first chapter and let's say you're watching the documentary and it shows you Hitler. And then it skips forward to Glasgow, 2013, today. And then it goes back to the Middle Ages. And then as you watch it, you understand it. Because you're watching the documentary, you understand those things. The trouble with the book of Revelation is that's what it's like, except it's mostly future. So we don't fully understand the events. We have to then go back into the Old Testament to figure out what John, what Jesus is saying through John. So I thank God that these, this list stays pretty much the same. Let me take you to the rapture just to begin with this morning because I want to get to the blood moons. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. We, uh, to, caught up in, in, the, in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. Now, trust me, folks. If you go out of here and you say knock your next door neighbors and say, Hey! I'm going to meet Jesus. What are they going to think of you? Going to think you're a bit of a crackpot, a bit of a head case. But you know, we're not. Could I have my next slide, please? We're not. And, and time is proving that... Look at, the, look at the, 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 these chaps here. I was doing some more research on this. These are the guys who are working on teleportation. So the rapture that the Bible prophesies says this. You, if you're spirit-filled, born again, you will rise up and meet Christ in the clouds. It says that the dead, my mother, my father, who are in the grave, it says that they, their atoms, their bodies will be drawn back together and they will rise up and meet the Lord. They'll go first and we will follow. And how easy it is for the lost to mock that or for you to you know, you could be so smart that you think, you expect me to believe that. But of course, I love the way science keeps on scoring own goals. Because the more clever they get, the more own goals they score. This, th- these are the guys in Australia which are, who are principally leading the tele- teleportation science at the moment. Uh, this is an old picture, actually, from 2003, I believe this was. When they, uh, they, they began to understand through quantum f- physics that the teleportation can be done. That it's achievable. And the first physical item that they actually moved from one place to another was a photon of light. And they they, they, they deconstructed it here, boom, and they made it appear there. So they now know that teleportation is technically possible. Okay? Now, with complex organisms and things, they're not there yet. But just as a fact of uh, science, it is possible. We always knew it was possible. (laughs) It's possible to God. Anybody like mice? (laughs) We tell the world that the dead who are in their graves, one day Christ will rise them up if they're saved. Okay? And they will appear there with us, with the Lord in the air. The one strange thing, for example, about these mice is that they were frozen for 15 years. And then they defrosted the sperm, and these are the offspring of that frozen sperm. Now tell me, if men can do this, what's the problem with God rising us up to meet him in the air? What's the problem with God raising the dead? Because even human beings are very close doing exactly the same thing. So the scientific world really need to take a seat and, and listen to scripture and follow scripture okay? and, and, and humble ourselves a little bit My neighbor is a retired professor of science from Strathclyde University. And I I met him on the street. I've had many debates with him, but he was ready for a debate the other day. He said, come out for coffee, come on. And we went out, we went over to ASDA, we sat down, and I was there for about four hours. Now, he's an old man, he's an elderly man, but he's absolutely bang up to speed with string theory and all that sort of stuff. And, and, And we had a long debate. It's funny... Even though I I, I keep myself abreast of those things and I was able to to, to hold my corner, it wasn't anything of that that convinced him to think again, actually. It was a miracle I told him about. I told him about something, a prophecy that I had that came true before my very eyes, just after I prophesied it. Uh, And he was kind of stunned by that. And it's funny, don't get all academic, folks. Don't get all academic uh, because you you run the risk of missing everything. The Bible says the common people received the word gladly. It was the educated masses in Europe, right, that have the struggle. Whereas in other parts of the world, they don't have the same intellectual objections. And of course, they see great power. Well, that may be a national truth, but it's also an individual truth. So be careful In the last days, knowledge will increase. What is that? A warning. Knowledge, it's a warning about knowledge and how it can affect you. In the last days, it will increase, so be careful. Look at this. For me, I I like it. Could I have the blood moons up? You will hear an enormous amount in the coming few years about the blood moons that are coming up in the sky, okay? Now, God is not asking you when he can have them, what he's going to do. These things are set long before you or I were born. In 2014, on Passover, and on the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, there's going to be four blood moons, actually, a tetrad. uh, On Pentecost, in 15, there's going to be an eclipse. And then again in 15, there's going to be a further tetrad. Now, this a tetrad is four blood moons in a row. This is a very, very, very significant event. In the Bible, when God speaks about a blood moon, a red moon in the sky, it always symbolizes trouble for Israel. That's what it means. Trouble is coming for Israel in 2014 through the year all the way through to 15. The eclipse means that there's trouble coming for the Gentile world. That's us. So here we have two years coming up, which I guarantee you, right? I scripturally guarantee you, we are going to see some action in Israel. We are going to see some changes taking place. And before you get all bent out of shape on me about signs in the sky, look at Genesis chapter 1 a moment. Genesis 1 and verse 14. Genesis 1 verse 14. This is God talking about why we have the moon and the stars and the sun. He created them and in Genesis 1:14 and God said, "Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as what? Yes. Signs." Now, please look at me. People say, "Oh, well, I don't know if it is a sign." I know there's four blood moons. I know there's going to be an eclipse. I know that the the blood moons fall on the feast days, but I don't know if it's going to be a sign. He made them for signs. He made them for signs. This is their purpose. This is why it's it's a sign. So don't get, you know, talk yourself out of something that's as clear as day. God made, uh, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the night from the day and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times or feast days, it may say in your version, or appointments. Basically, two, two key words there are signs and feasts, if you like. That's the purpose of the, the sun and the moon. These are God's PowerPoint. That's what it is. I tell you what, folks. <laughs> you won't be able to say that you were not never warned. Because here it is, loud. it's written across the sky. Okay? So God set these things up. God set the moon and the sun and he uses them as his PowerPoint to give us signs. And it says the sacred times. That actually means the feast days. So that it's appointments, basically, is the word there in Hebrew. Divine appointments. You believe in divine appointments? Ah. This is a divine appointment. Okay, this is a long established, long waited for divine appointment and the significance of these things is not that there's blood moons because there's blood moons all the time if that's not what's significant about 2014 and 15 what's significant is the fact of when they they fall on the feast days of significance the Passover Tabernacles Pentecost this is why this is incredibly significant next slide please you see people say well how often do, do the blood moons fall on the feast days well the last one was in 1967 and 68 when there was a blood moon on Passover and Sukkot. Now what happened in 67 and 68? Israel got their land back. It went to war, the six-day war, famous war where God supernaturally destroyed their enemy. They had an army of 80,000, I believe it was, going against the surrounding nations. And it was a modern-day miracle like ones in the Old Testament. On this, In this year, there was a tetrad. And then if you go back, there was no other tetrads on the feast days between here and here, okay? Then you have to go back to 1948 and 49 before you find another one on the feast days. What happened in 48 and 49? They get their land back. Second World War is over and the Jews return to their land. And then you have to go all the way back to 1492 when America was formed because the Jews had to flee Europe because the Jews were kicked out of Spain. Okay? So Columbus goes and sails. You know the story. So you understand, within a 400-year period or so, the only times that we have seen blood moons on the feast days have been times of enormous significance for Israel. So, this then automatically should cause us to think what is going to happen in 2014 and 2015. Well, either the Jews will get their temple back, that could happen, there's many ways that could happen. The Dome of the Rock, they can you know, barter part of their land, give part of the West Bank or something like that to the Palestinians, something they've long debated. And in return for that piece of land, the Muslim world may say, OK, we'll give you the Dome of the Rock. They could hand it over. And in one year, boom, you know, without delay, suddenly, we see huge changes. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the rapture of the church. Maybe. I don't know. What I do know is that there's enormous importance coming up in this year. That one thing I definitely, definitely, definitely know. Matthew chapter 24, 29. Look at this. Jesus here is quoting the Old Testament, but this is the same narrative that we read earlier when they were asking him what will be the sign of the end. And Jesus says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. Here you go. Oh, it's gone. (laughs) The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Okay? The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So, folks, we are without excuse, really. Look at Joel, chapter 2. You'll see the same warning. Joel 2 and verse 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Acts chapter 2. Just to bring it into the modern world. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious Lord. So you understand, actually God has a long history of controlling the planets and the stars anyway. If you remember Joshua. Joshua was going into battle. He was getting victory. And what was his prayer? Lord, cause the sun to stand still. And God did that. Controlling the celestial bodies. Remember Hezekiah when he was dying. And he made an appeal to God. Send the sun back 10 degrees. And God, no problem. So there's, there's, no, there's no issue with God's ability to do it. The issue is only for us, folks. Now, I, I warn you to, 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 to listen up. We have never had a day like the day we have right now. And it's a time when you... I, I, I get lots of abuse because of what I speak and the way I speak it, I suppose. <laughs> One man came up to me. He left this church not long ago because he said to me, we did a series called The Mystery of Israel. Remember that? All right? We were doing a series called The Mystery of Israel. Israel and he came up to me and he's basically was saying you keep on talking about Israel I'm going to leave <laughs> just go straight to the back and you just <laughs> no problem what are you talking about what are you talking about and you be, be be very careful to listen up he hated the fact that we had one of these and I asked the men in this church to buy one for your homes if you remember actually one of these a Hanukkah for Christmas but you see, in, in times gone by, before the, it was an oral tradition, so scripture was passed by word of mouth and then eventually gets written down and then you have the canon and everything else. So God has the responsibility to communicate to all generations, all intelligence levels, people who can read and can't read. He still has the same problem of communicating. Could I have my moons, please? He still has the same problem. How do I communicate my return to all people's, Of all languages, with or without a Bible, what shall I do? What sign shall I give? Something that everyone can understand and follow. And of course, historically, he told them that they were to build one of these, to have one of these. What's this? This is a menorah, okay? And these represent the seven feasts of Israel Passover, the first feast. Unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Okay, the seven main. There's many feasts, but the seven main feasts of Israel. So one of the problems we have. I can't light this, or the fire alarms will go off. This represents many things. It represents that there's seven years of tribulation on the earth, right? And it's divided into three and a half. One, two, three and a half. And three and a half split right down the middle this the, the first half really is an explanation which is understood by the Jews. they understand about Passover and all those things. This bit is understood by Israel today, but this is our bit, okay, but in some ways it 's actually flipped because the, we need to study Israel because we need to understand what 's coming up, and they are the ones with a real grip on the on the closing of time but if you can imagine all these lights burning and God's grace is available to mankind and he's trying to beckon mankind in, what you have is the lights start to dim and you have the first light go out on Passover. We have a blood moon. So the world just gets a little bit dim and it's a warning, you see. And then within the same couple of years here, within a two year period, now we have an what? An eclipse. eclipse. So you've got a warning to the Jews that you're about to enter into a seven-year period by by way of a blood moon. Then you have an eclipse as a warning to the Gentiles. And then, of course, the whole thing finishes with tabernacles. And we know that Christ will return during the Feast of Tabernacles. The whole thing closes with another blood moon. So uh, God cannot make it more clear. It's crystal clear that we're coming up To a time of great change on the earth. We have been warned and then warned and then warned again. I appeal to you, you know, with all my heart. Please don't get sidetracked by mummy and daddy. Telling you what to do with your life. I've been there, done that and had come out the other side. So don't say I'm different from you. I'm not. I want to serve God. With all my heart. Because soon I believe I will see Him. And when I see Him, there are not going to be any excuses. We can all pile up excuses. So we intend, and Jeanette and I have spent many, many hours in the last months and weeks, as we've looked and studied, asking God to, to, to guide us day by day, minute by minute, so that we will be found with like the five wise virgins, with oil in our lamps, ready at any moment. Now, by the way, the rapture can happen anytime. We're not waiting on anything for the rapture. The rapture can happen today, it can happen this afternoon. And th- 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 these things are just precursors, really, to the Antichrist coming. The, the, the rapture could happen today because the falling away is already taking place. People are dropping off from churches. One of my pastors lost seven people in his worship team in one day. In one day. One day. And he was devastated and I actually, funny enough, I arrived in that city just the following week. I said, brother, be encouraged. (laughs) Welcome to the end times. The great apostasy is alive and kicking. And the love of many for the church and the gospel is growing cold. And they're giving in to the draw and the temptations of the world because evil is increasing. And we will lose them. I hope you're not one of them. I hope you will not be deceived. Many will be. Most, Jesus says the love of most will grow cold. So you see these, we're way up here somewhere. We're knocking around this area at the moment, but these events then happen very quickly. So everything after this point, once the rapture takes place, it's all systems go on the planet. I, you know, I will go in that first resurrection God willing, I will prepare myself in every way every day so that if you should blow that trumpet tomorrow, God, Jeanette and I will be ready and I will do my best to tell everybody, I ask you to pray for me because I don't think the devil likes me. <laughs> and I don't think the devil wants me to say what I'm saying to you. And I think things have changed, you know. In the last little while, things have changed. I think God has revealed so many things now that is up the ante. And now you've got to be double, double, triple careful of what you're listening to, who you're listening to, because false prophets are going to abound all over this world. And you're going to have to watch yourself that you don't get deceived. This is a thoroughly biblical list, thoroughly biblical. So there will be the tribulation, you know, the different stages that take place. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we meet the Lord's in the in the air, a Jewish wedding, a Jewish wedding took seven days. And what would happen in a Jewish wedding is the groom would go to the bride's house and pick her up, not physically pick her up, pick her up and take her back to the Father. And they would have seven days of celebration. Did you get it? So Jesus comes to the earth, takes the church, goes to heaven, seven years of a wedding, a bit like we had in here yesterday. And whilst on the earth we have this period called two things. The first half of it is called the tribulation. And the second half of it is called the great tribulation. Because things get ten times worse in this second bit, in the second three and a half years. Okay, so we know that that's coming up. In fact, could you just switch forward a few slides, Stefan, please, to the open space, to the picture of the open space? Yeah, that's it. Do you know what that is? Armageddon, that's right, that's Armageddon right there, Armageddon's a place. And when Jesus was growing up, Jesus could actually walk out of his house, stand up on the hill, imagine that, imagine the Christ, the Christ child, being able to walk out of his front door, walk over to the top of the mountain, and look out on Armageddon. Armageddon's a place, it's not a movie, it's a place. And this is the great battle that is, takes place, or at least it nearly takes place, because Christ returns just in the nick of time and saves Israel. Just like you saw in the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, the nations, the armies of the world assembled, remember? took many, It took nearly a year, didn't it, where all the armies gathered in the Middle East. So we have predicted the same thing again, but this time they're gathering against Israel, not Iraq. Okay, next time it's going to be Israel, and it'll be right here nations of the world will send their armies to, in, in their mind, once and for all, destroy Israel and get them off the face of the earth. You see what Assad said in Syria a couple of weeks ago? He said, all this is happening because of one nation, Israel. That's what he said. All this is happening because of one nation, that Israel. If only we could destroy Israel, we would have peace in the Middle East at last. You see? That's the root that you're connected to. If you're born again, you're connected to that root. We call it spiritual Israel, call it what you want. But this is where Armageddon will take place. And th- th- just as, a, as Christ arrives, and he will actually save the nation at that time. Turn to Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. This is talking about Christ's return unto the Mount of Olives at that time. And what will happen at that time? Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. That's the nations who gather against Israel. As he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Remember when Jesus ascended. uh, He was just about to rise up into the sky. And the apostles were standing around. They didn't want him to go. Uh, And uh, uh, was it a a voice? uh, was, Was it an angel? Who said, uh, do not be afraid. As you have seen him go from the Mount of Olives, so he shall return. Here it is. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. East of Jerusalem. And the mountain will split in two. From east to west, forming a great valley, and half of the mountain will move north and half will move south, you will flee by the mountain valley, for it will extend to Azil. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake. Next slide, please. Take a look at this. Where's it gone? There it is. The Mount of Olives. So Christ will return when the armies are assembling the nations of the world, and he will return. And Scripture prophesies that this mountain will be what? Chkum. Split in two. Split in half. Next slide, please. Now, as it happens, the scientific world tell us that there's already, that's a tectonic plate, there is already a split running right through the middle of that mountain, right? And any of you who have been to Israel will know that. You're not allowed up there. Only certain times of the year and only so far. Because they're frightened of earthquakes. Next slide, please. There it is. There's the fault line. Running right as the Bible says that it does. That mountain will indeed split in two. And Christ will touch down on it. Next slide, please. This is a bigger picture. It will basically go right across from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. Now, you would say, well, why? Why? What, you have to split the land? Why do you have to split the land, Lord? Why don't you just come back? Okay, next picture, please. That's why. What's that? That's the Dead Sea. And this is why Christ will split the mountains. Because that, folks, is the largest body of salt on the face of the earth. That's the lowest point of the earth's surface. It's the lowest point of the earth's surface. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Or it's called the Salt Sea. And when Christ returns, these mountains will split. And those chemicals, that cleansing salt, it's symbolic and practical. This will leak out both ways into the nation's oceans. As a cleansing example, it's both both an example, but also it's a practical thing. If you know the answer, don't answer. What lies at the bottom of this? What lies in the bottom of all that stuff? Sodom and Gomorrah. So many years ago homosexuality began to to grow impetus and power on the earth and God warned them and warned them until one day he pummeled Sodom and Gomorrah into the earth. Boom! And it became the lowest point of the earth's surface and over the years the chemicals built up. So this is both symbolic but it is also a very real and truth. It's a practical truth. It, it, those salts will go out supernaturally, I believe, and cleanse the, the oceans because Christ is back on Earth. We'll deal with it in weeks to come. Zechariah chapter thirteen verse six. God help us. Zechariah chapter thirteen verse six. If someone asks, what are these? Is this a prophecy about the Lord Jesus and His return? If someone asks you, what are these wounds in your body? They will answer, these are the wounds that I received. In the house of my friends. Could I have my next slide please. What's that? That's the east gate of Jerusalem. Now you can notice that it's firmly, pretty firmly shut. And scripture prophesies that when Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives. That he will walk towards Jerusalem. And it says that he will come up to this gate. Now Ezekiel actually prophesies that the gate was going to be shut. It was open in Ezekiel's day. But Ezekiel prophesied that that gate was going to be shut. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, there it is. Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44 verses 1 and 2. Just take a look at this a moment. Then a man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east. This is it, the east gate. And it was shut. Okay, now it was open when he was writing this. He's having a vision. The Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one will enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gateway and eat in the presence of the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico and go out the same way. Basically what scripture says is Christ will approach this gate. After coming down off the Mount of Olives, he will approach this. In Zechariah, it says there will be two guards standing by either side. And they will see the marks on his hands. And the mark's on his feet and it will say, what are those wounds? You see a glorified Christ and something's wrong. This is the all-powerful one. You've just seen the mountain split and here he comes. And here's these guards looking at him. Something doesn't fit. What is it? God help them. He's wounded. How can someone as powerful as you, how can someone like you be wounded? This makes no sense. What are those wounds? Where did they come from? And why do they exist? And this, you just read it. And Jesus replies, these are the wounds that I received because of you. In the house of my friends. These are the wounds. The, the Muslims shut this gate in the 1500s. The Ottoman Turks, they closed it because they knew the prophecies that Christ would one day return through this gate. And they blocked it up, and it's been blocked up ever since. What Ezekiel was seeing was a vision about what would happen, and there it is. So today, this gate is shut. Now, whether he blows it open or walks straight through it, those physical laws do not apply. But that's the gate. It's amazing, folks. It's startling. Next slide, please. I like that. There are many pictures of the Lord's return. But those who were raptured come back with them, And the Bible says we will be as angels. And the same thing that Christ set out to achieve or God set out to achieve in the Garden of Eden. He does achieve it. He's back on earth. But this time he's not on a donkey. This time he's a ruling Lord. And he will rule from Israel, from Jerusalem for a thousand years. We call it the millennium. And reorganize the whole. And uh, uh, maybe we'll look at that again because there's so much new light out there in the world uh is eye-opening. Next slide. There's such a debate. Donya Kenneth, many of you will know her. She just got a job as a forensic scientist. She studied carbon dating and all that sort of thing. And many of you will have been here for her lecture one Sunday night on carbon dating and how crazy it is to rely upon that as any solid evidence. Okay? And she gave a very complicated but very Good lecture on that. Why she did not agree with her lecturers. They have no foundation. I believe the earth is actually not that old. And in scripture we have the begats. From Adam to Christ, you can count up the begats as 4,000 years. Okay, From Christ until now, how long? Leaving? Giving a total off? Here we go again. So we're back again. From Genesis to Revelation... And everything in between, including the Dark Ages. And no no matter where you look at this picture and this form, you will see prophecy emblazoned across the sky, written on Israel, continually confirmed through science, actually. And of course, prophetically, if your spirit is awake, you will know a troubling in your spirit. I have never been as troubled in my spirit in my entire life Never, 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 never. And I I don't know, it was about a month ago or so, I suppose, that uh, I thought we'd better revisit this and and, and look at it, but I was not prepared for what was my emotions, my, my feelings inside me, you know. I am very well accustomed of going before God and finding a word for Sunday. This is not a word for Sunday. This is a word about the end of the world. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And it just bothers me day and night. Day and night. I ask God, and we've been praying privately, please give me the ability to communicate to the church about the days in which we live. I don't know when the rapture is going to take place. No one does. But all we must do is be ready. Okay? Just be ready. How foolish we are if we're not ready! I don't know when Christ will come back. Well, I do in, in, in terms of the, the the feast; he'll come back during Tabernacles. Okay, uh, the rapture will take place during the feast of trumpets. So we know the the season. We just don't know the day or the hour. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But Paul says, you you know, you're not blind to these things. You do know the feast. We'll look at that in weeks to come. So we do know the 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 feast times on which he will return. What year? Don't know. Next year, year after, year after that, 10 year? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know <laughs> that these signs are now more clear than they have ever, ever, ever been, certainly in my lifetime. And once God starts you know, revealing things like this, it's an absolute wake-up call to all of us. So I appeal to you with everything and in every way that I can. I appeal to you to tell your friends. Last week I asked you to go and invite your friends and to bring them here. I think that's the least you can do. Don't answer me. Did you? So you're going to keep it to yourself, are you? And not tell anyone. Don't do it, folks go next door, like my neighbor. Let's go for a cup of coffee. Something I need to tell you. Not that I was able to deal with him through knowledge, but through his, he was convinced that a miracle had happened and couldn't figure it. What about your friends and your family, your work colleagues? This week, you go and you tell them, Come with me on Sunday. I'll come and pick you up. I want you to hear about what's happening. We'll continue this series for several weeks. Uh, It's not a time to mess about. The parable of the laborers, remember? He came back and they were idle, remember? The Lord came along and they were doing nothing. And he said, what are you sitting here doing nothing for? Remember your message, brother? Why are we sitting in here doing amen? Why on earth do you do nothing? So please understand the days in which we live, they are critically important. And I challenge you to bring your friends along here next Sunday and we will continue this series.